Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you this morning, and I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, which we're going to be taking a look at today as we go into continuing in our Advent series uh, today, obviously looking at peace. Um, the scripture will be posted on the screen behind me, uh, or you can follow along in your Bible or the Pew Bible. And by the way, um, those Bibles that you, you see in the pew, if you don't have a Bible, you can take one. Uh, you're welcome to grab one of those and bring it home and, and to use that. We just want to make sure that everybody has access to, to a Bible. So let me read this for us today, starting at verse 2. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true companion, help these women who have labor, labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say to you, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray this morning to ask for God's guidance and wisdom as we approach his word. Lord God, I pray for us this morning that you would use this time to speak to our hearts and to strengthen and encourage us. I pray, Lord, that our community would abound in peace and that we would know and experience more of your peace. Lord, give me peace as I speak. Give me the words to say that I may communicate your truth with God's people today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things that I learned about Grace Church is that the staff of Grace Church loves Christmas, and in fact, they start playing Christmas music before Thanksgiving. Um, I was not happy about that. For me, it's like by the end of Christmas, I am so sick of Christmas music, but uh, Grace Church really embraces Christmas, so I decided to embrace it as well. I've been busting out my old uh, Christmas favorites, and uh, I'm sure many of you, you know, love Christmas music as well. Show of hands, for, I'm going to do some testing to see uh, famous, your favorite Christmas albums. How many for you, Merry Christmas by Mariah Carey is your favorite? We got one taker, okay. How many for you, one of the Amy Grant Christmas albums, any takers? Handful, okay. How about the Michael W. Smith one? Yes, AJ. AJ reminded me of that, and uh, yeah, my dad used to listen to that. That's a great one. Show of hands, the James Taylor Christmas album. Anybody? None? Okay. How about last one, and that would be the Taylor Swift Holiday Collection. <laughs> Any? That's still kind of her country days, so no, no takers. Okay. 
Well, it astonishes me, it really surprises me that, you know, our culture is becoming increasingly post-Christian, and yet everybody just goes crazy over, uh, over the holidays, and especially over Christmas. And I, I've been reflecting and thinking, you know, why is it that, you know, people might not be so interested in the gospel, but they just love Christmas. And, and what I began to, to think and realize is that, you know, I think Christmas reminds us that there are these virtues, these things like peace and joy, um, and love and hope. And these are values which in our world, which has become increasingly broken, and we just see so much suffering and, and, and brokenness and war, um, you know, it's so easy to become cynical. And so I think in a way that even for the average person, you know, Christmas is a time to get hopeful again and to imagine that things could be better, right? But our world really is cynical. But as Christians, we have uh, hope that is valid. It, it is true. It, it's not a naive hope, but, it, but we have grounds to have an expectant hope and to believe that things like love and peace are not just fictions and they're not just naive hopes that the world has that Christmas talks about, but these are things we can actually know and we can experience. And so at Advent, we're reviewing what are the, the promises of Advent. And one of the promises of Advent, one of the things that God is in fact bringing into this world that makes available for us is what we're going to be looking at today is peace. In our world, people are very cynical about peace right now, right? We don't come together to the table and sit and talk things out. We cancel each other. Politicians are, are constantly spewing hatred at people on the opposing side. We see wars, which just seem to go on and on. And so our world is desperately hunger, hungry to know that peace is, a, is something that is real, is something that we could actually have and experience. And we're going to learn about that peace today from, from the Apostle Paul in Philippians. And um, I'm going to be kind of coming at this text backwards. I'm going to start at the end, go to the middle, and then work my way towards the beginning. But basically, my point is this, that God is, in fact, making peace possible for us. He offers us this peace, but it's not automatic. We have to work it. We have to work this piece. We have to put it into practice. There's an aspect uh, on our end that we have to take this gift that God has given us, but we have to, to, to make it work for us. And so I'm going to be sharing a little bit more about that. The first thing that I want to say is that the foundational layer to this piece that God wants to, to, to provide for us and give us is peace with God himself. It is the most important aspect of the peace that we can have is peace with God. I know that um, many of us experience stress, and there, you know, the stress in life has lots of different layers, right? There's, there's stress with kids, there's stress with work, there, there's stress in marriage oftentimes, but one of the things that I found to be the case, um, and I, I hope my wife agrees with me, is that if her and I are good, you know, if we're getting along and we're connected, then whether we have work stress or we have kids stress or we have life stress because life is just so busy, if we're good, you know, we can handle all the other stuff. Because at the end of the day, we know that, you know, we'll come home and there's love and there's understanding. And no matter what happens out there, you know, we have love and we have community and friendship and uh, at home. And so that gives us the strength to be able to handle all the other stressors of life. But the opposite is true too, right? For those of you who are married, if you're not getting along with your spouse... And if there's tension at home between you and your wife or you and your husband, it doesn't matter how good your job is, doesn't much money, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you're making, it doesn't everything else could be peachy. But if you and your spouse 
are, are in a place of tension and discord, right, that puts pressure on everything else. And so that one layer becomes foundational to kind of everything else. Now, uh, maybe, you know, maybe you're not married, maybe you're uh, in high school and you're thinking about college and so I, I, would bet, I, I would guess that maybe for younger people, you know, uh, securing entrance into the college of your choice, like that's like the big thing. So maybe stuff at home uh, is rough. Maybe stuff with your friends is rough. But you know, you know what, next fall I'm going to college. It's going to be awesome. So no matter what happens here, I can deal with it because I know that um, in the fall everything is going to be set. And so that one thing kind of impacts everything else. Well, friends, our relationship with God is, is the same way. It's one of those major things in our lives. It's the most important aspect of the peace that we can ever have and experience in this life. And if we don't have peace with God, right, we were made by the Creator to know and to be in fellowship with Him. That's how we're designed as human beings. If I don't have peace with my Creator, I can't have peace in this world. Any other peace. Things might seem like they're going great, but it's, it's, it's temporary. It's not going to last if I don't have peace with God. And the Bible actually teaches that in a way that we are considered God's enemies, that, that our relationship with God is so broken in our natural state that, that we're enemies of God. Now, maybe, maybe you just came to church for the first time today and you're just learning about God. And here I, I'm telling you that you're enemies with God and you're like, well, I'm an enemy of God? Like, what are you talking about? I just started learning about God. But Friends, I, I, it's, a, it's a reality that the Bible teaches is that in our sinful, sinful state, right, we are in a state of rebellion against God. And you might say, well, I, what, what, have, what have I done wrong? Well, in, in a way, you know, we all have done wrong. We all have commit, commit sin, but we got to go way back to the beginning and see that our forefather, uh, Adam, you know, rebelled against God. Him and Eve rebelled against God and that every subsequent human being that, that has ever been a part of the human race, we're born into this. We have this tension, this rebellion against God. Uh, and so we're considered enemies of God. But we all sin. We all kind of take part in that in big ways and small ways. Um, another way that we're in rebellion against God is because we have other gods. We have other idols in our lives. And maybe you would say, well, Ben, you know, you come to my house. You look, I don't have any idols. I don't have any statues that I'm bowing down and, and worshiping. But the Bible teaches that, you know, it's, a, it's not just about an idol, but we make gods out of things like money or things like power. Whenever we give our ultimate value and put all of our stock in like one thing, like money, and have to have it, we become greedy. And, and, and the scripture teaches that greed is, is a form of idolatry. So we make idols out of all these good things. We make idols out of success. We make idols out of looking good. We make idols out of, out of money and power. And so in, in all different kinds of ways, um, we, we're at odds with God. And if we don't have peace with God, then, then th that means that ultimately we're, we're liable to death because the wrath of God hangs over us for our sins. And so we're liable to death both physically in this life and eternal life, uh, death in the life to come. So that's a scary situation. But there's incredibly good news. And this is the good news of Christmas, that God comes to us to make peace. That is what Christmas is all about. 
right? We are, we're at odds with God, and God says, I don't want to punish you. I don't want to pour out wrath on you. I want to heal our broken relationship. And so God takes the initiative in the person of the Son of God, is born in a manger, and comes into this world, ultimately, in order to die on a cross, to stand in the place of sacrifice, to take the wrath that we deserved, to take the judgment that we deserved on his own shoulders so that we could be completely set free and reconciled to God in relationship, which means that animosity and fear and anxiety in our relationship with God are completely removed. Think about the message that the angels brought to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. They came announcing a peace message, the birth of a new king. Suddenly, verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and, and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests we were enemies with God but the scripture says that while we were yet enemies God loved us and he died for us on the cross in order to make us his friends this is the message of Christmas God has come into the world to make peace with us we can't do it on our own, not through good behavior, not through religion, not through crossing, you know, crossing your T's and dotting your I's. It's, it's not possible, but God does for us what we are not able to do on our own. He reconciles himself with us by standing in the gap, by dying on a cross. And when we put our faith and trust in him and believe the gospel, friends, we are set free. We are assured of eternal life with God, a place in his family. And so God makes peace with us. And Paul talks about this in the language of the mystery of contentment, which is what he talks about in chapter 4. He talks about the mystery of contentment. This is the peace that he says he has. Let me reread re those verses for us. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. What's he talking about there? Well, the, the Philippians had sent him a very generous donation to help with his material needs. So he's saying, you know, you, you couldn't do it before, but now you have. Thank you so much. It was so kind that you sent me this, uh, this donation. But then he says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That's kind of a funny way to say thank you, isn't it? Oh, thank you so much for sending this money. I didn't need it. I'm good. I'm content, but I really appreciate that you sent me the money. But that's, that's what he says because he wants them to realize that he has this profound contentment that he also wants them to be able to know and experience. So he goes on. Not that I am speaking in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. Just, he's saying, I know how to be broke. I know how to be rich. Either way you go, he say, I can be fully content. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's content in all things. He, he, he has come, he has uncovered this mystery of contentment. It's, it's a powerful mystery. Um, one time I was, um, I had just become the senior pastor at my old church back in the city. Uh, I was super stressed out. You know, my wife and I, it, it was a very difficult situation. I had just come into, um, come into that role and the, you know, people at the church were disgruntled about a variety of things. I was trying so hard to, to lead. People were not really, um, you know, they weren't going along. They weren't buying what I was selling. It was a very challenging situation and I was very stressed out as I was newly in this role. I was very young. Um, 
So I had a mentor, and him and I used to talk, talk on the phone. He was kind of a, a ministry coach, and I was telling him about how stressed out I was. And sometimes pastors can be so annoying to other pastors. They're, they're like the worst when it comes to giving pastoral advice, because he says to me something like, well, haven't you read Philippians 4? Haven't you read Philippians 4? I'm like, yes, Dave, I have read Philippians 4. He's like, well, I want you to read Philippians 4 right now. So I'm like, oh my goodness, okay. So, so I take out the Bible and I read, I read Philippians 4 and I, I re, he, he has me read this passage about the mystery of contentment. And then he says to me, so Ben, you're Pastor Ben, so what is the mystery of contentment, Ben? And uh, so I just stopped and, and thought about it for a minute. And let me ask you today, you know, what is the mystery of contentment? What is the secret? What is this thing that enables you to be content no matter what? Right? Just think about that. So I thought about it for a moment, and I realized pretty quickly that the reason Paul is able to be content in any and every situation is because he's been reconciled with God. In Christ, Paul has everything he needs. It's all been taken care of. Everything else is just icing on the cake. If you've been reconciled with God in Christ, your relationship with God has been brought to a place of peace. God loves you. He has assured you of eternal life. He's given you his spirit. He's brought you into his family. He's assured you that he'll always be with you. Right? The mystery of contentment is God's got you. He, he has your life in the palm of his hands. There's nothing you need to be afraid of. He's taken care of you. You have peace with God. That's the mystery of contentment. It is it has all been taken care of. And so we can have that peace with God. If we don't have that peace with God, there is no other kind of peace that we could have that ultimately will be satisfying. That brings me to my second point here, which is that not only the, the second layer, which is not only peace with God, but now also peace within ourselves. Um, having and, and, and as I mentioned, this peace is a peace that God gives to us, but it's also a peace that we have to enact we got to put it into action. We have to work it. Now, some of you may say, well, that doesn't seem fair. Like, if God gives me a gift, like, why is it that I have to kind of do, do something? Why do I have to work with it? Why can't I just be at peace all the time, right? Why can't I just automatically feel peaceful and be content all the time? Well, I, I'm sorry, it just doesn't work like that. I mean, imagine that, um, you know, you're, you're, you have a high school uh, student who comes of age, and so you get them a car. You're like, I'm going to give you the car. Here are the keys to the car. You drive yourself to your practice now. You can drive yourself to school now. You can kind of go wherever you want. With the car comes great freedom. But then your child comes to you and says, but, but mom and dad, I, I don't know how to drive. It's like, well, well okay, we're well, going to have to learn how to drive. It's still a gift. You can go anywhere with it, but it's, it's going to take some practice. You're going to have to take driver's ed and, and so forth to learn how to use it. So I would suggest to you, and this is really important, that, that when it comes to this peace that God gives us, it, it is a gift. It is real. But it is something that you have to work. You have to work at it. But he's going to show us, he's going to show us how. All right? He's going to show how. Now, um, having this internal peace, this peace with self, is so vitally important because if you don't have peace within yourself, there's no way that you're going to be effective at all in bringing peace to the world around you. Right? To be able to be of service in the world and to be a peaceful presence and to be a reconciler, you have to have inner peace. You have to have peace within yourself. If your heart is filled with anxiety and frustration and resentment and violence, there's no way that you're going to be able to do any good in the world. 
And so this peace that, that God gives us, it is something that we have to know, we have to experience in order to be able to be of use and to be of, to be of service in the world. And in 12-step programs, they, act, they talk about sobriety. I think we all know what sobriety is, right? Sobriety is that you're not using. But there's also a different kind of sobriety that they talk about in 12-step programs, and that is emotional or spiritual sobriety. And this is very important because the fact is that you might not be using, right? You might not be actively engaged in addiction, but if you are not working hard to maintain emotional sobriety, spiritual sobriety, it's only a matter of time before you're going to go back to, to using. And so um, one website defines emotional sobriety as this. Emotional sobriety generally means building a healthy, emotionally balanced life. Accepting the present as it is, right? Accepting the present as it is. I can't control reality. Sometimes there are things that are, that are out of my control. Sometimes there are things I don't like, but I can't necessarily fix it right now. Reality is reality. We have to accept reality on reality's terms. This doesn't mean that I won't, that God's not going to use me to, to bring about some good, but, but at a base level, I got to kind of be okay with my situation, um, accepting the present as it is, seeing struggle and grief as natural parts of life that offer an opportunity for personal growth. Right? I don't like negative emotions. How many of you like to be sad? No, no hands. Okay. So yeah, I don't like negative emotions. We don't like negative emotions. But guess what? Negative emotions are part of life. Being sad is a part of life. Being depressed sometimes is a part of life. They're depressing things. There's sad things that happen. It's natural to feel sad. It's natural to feel upset at times. We can't uh, eradicate these things. We've got to accept them, but also realize that like, sometimes there's, there's good in those things. We can learn. We can, we can grow from them. Um, not letting other people's limited perceptions or expectations define your self-esteem or negatively impact your behavior. So I, I could go, go on and on, right, about, about this idea of emotional sobriety. Just because you're not using doesn't mean you're sober. Right? And I think that Christians have a thing or two we can learn from the 12-step program. Actually, the 12-step program was originally based, developed by Christians in, in, uh, in London. But the idea here is that, friends, if you're filled with conflict, if you're filled with anger and frustration, you might not have outward violence in your life. You, on the outside, it might look like peace. But, friends, if you're filled with strife inside, it's only a matter of time before you're going to act out. And before that is going to manifest in itself in, in your life by violence, by aggression, by, by, by acting in an unkind and unloving, and unloving way. So this peace that God gives us, we got we got to work it. we got to let it really impact our lives. But Paul shows us how to do this. He gives us tools. So it's, this is in that middle part now. So take a look at um, verses 4 through uh, 9. And, and specifically, I ask you to look at verse 6 through 7. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we want to have internal peace, we have to work hard to eliminate anxiety out of our lives. Did you know that Jesus himself said, don't be anxious about anything? Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. I, I, I wonder if maybe we as modern people, we, we have such an anxiety-inducing world that we've just sort of come to terms with the fact that we're pretty much gonna, always going to be anxious. But it doesn't have to be that way. The scripture gives us resources to fight back against anxiety and to have peace, to know peace. 
So it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. So looking carefully at the text, in everything. Everything means everything, right? God's not only interested in what you do on Sunday. He's interested in your mornings, your evenings, your afternoon, your lunch break, your weekends, your holidays, in everything. Is anything troubling you? Go to God in prayer. Is there any part of your life where you have insecurity, you have doubt? Right? Engage God on that. He says, in everything, bring it. Bring it all to God. And then he says something interesting. Again, looking very carefully at the words. What does he say? He says, in prayer and supplication. So how many of you know that prayer and supplication are two different things? Right? Sometimes we think prayer, supplication, that sounds like just prayer. Prayer and prayer. No. They're two different words. Prayer is one word in the Greek, and supplication is another word in the Greek. They're not the same thing. What is prayer? Prayer is engaging God relationally, communicating with God. So, so think about it. in anything, in prayer, in every aspect of your life, engage God, bring God into your day, right? Talk with God. Just uh, oftentimes we, we, we always go to asking, but he says just pray, just connect with God, right? Throughout the day, you can have set times of prayer, you can talk with God throughout the day. So in everything in prayer and supplication. So what is supplication? When we supplicate, that is asking God for things. And usually supplication has this, uh, this aspect of like desperately crying out to God for something. So there is a place for that. You have a, a, a medical test coming up and you're worried and anxious about where the results of that test are going to be. You supplicate, you know, supplicate. Ask God, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm stressed. I'm anxious about this. I don't know what the test results are going to be. Or maybe you have a child who's gotten into trouble and you're really stressed out because he or she has made a terrible mistake and they're in trouble and you don't know what to do. Man, it's time for some supplication, okay? You can supplicate about that. You know, so it's prayer and supplication. So it's, we don't only go to God with, with what we need, but we also go to Him in relationship. But He does care. He cares about you, right? Why? We'll be at peace with God. We're part of His family. He cares about you. He's a, he's a loving Heavenly Father. So he says, we pray, we supplicate, but then it says, very importantly, with thanksgiving. And uh, if you were at the Thanksgiving service a couple weeks ago, I, I spoke very briefly on this. But, you know, so much of the time, our prayer is like, God, I need this. God, I need that. God, take care of my job. God, take care of my kids. You know, take care of uh, whatever. But where's the thanksgiving? So he says, if you're going to go to God, first of all, it's prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So when you have a need, that's fine. God wants to hear it. But don't forget to take the time to thank God for everything he's done for you and to count your blessings and to look around and say, you know what, this one particular area of my life is really stressing me out and I'm really upset about it, but if I take a step back and I look at my home and my church and the, the, the so many, the, the piles and piles of things that God has already done for us, we can begin to feel a lot better. And did you know that there's a, a growing body of scientific research that studies the, the impact of uh, of gratitude. AJ, do we have that slide up on the screen? Yeah. So, so, so gratitude, it's been shown, and, and research is coming out about this more and more, to show that when you practice gratitude, it has a chemical effect on your brain. It actually changes your brain chemistry. And I, I could say more, more about this. Uh, for time, I, I, I'll just keep it, um, keep it brief. But the, the, the short way to say this is that gratitude is so powerful in terms of making you feel better, it is practically on the level of a drug. 
that when you, are, when you practice gratitude, you get high naturally. It has such a positive impact on your sense of well-being. And, and Scripture is saying right here, abound in thanksgiving. And so, yeah, we have our needs, but when we practice gratitude, maybe this is like just taking two or three minutes every day to tell God, God, I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful for my job. Make a list. You could write a gratitude letter. So you could send a letter to a parent or to a friend and just say, you know, I am so thankful for you. This is what you've meant in my life. Just take a few moments and be thankful. You'll feel 10 times better. Uh, the, the research is showing this. And so Paul says, all right, we're praying, we're supplicating. You know, turn to somebody next to you and say, I'm going to supplicate for you. Go ahead. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm going to supplicate for you. Okay, and then I want you to say, I'm going to pray and supplicate for you with thanksgiving because I'm thankful for you, brother or sister. <laughs> so we, we work it. He shows us how to work it. And he says that as you pray, as you supplicate with thanksgiving, God, the God of peace, is going to surround you He's going to guard you. He's going to be like a barrier, a shield around you. And he's going to give you his supernatural peace, which what? Transcends understanding. Science can't explain it. It's supernatural. God wants to give you supernatural peace. So there's part of it we can understand, we can put into practice, but there's another whole aspect of it that is beyond our understanding, but it's real. And that when you are looking to God, you're engaging God as a father, you're praying, you're asking, you're, you're thankful. He, he guards you with his peace and helps you to experience a supernatural peace even in the midst of the storm. How many of you were able to pick up one of the Advent devotionals? Okay, Brian Critchfield, one of our elders, wrote an awesome article about peace. So let me just quote something that he said, okay? He said, some of my most radical experiences of peace have not been in times of ease or accomplishment, but in the middle of the storm. As a family, we've been, we have been involved in various foster care ministries over the years, orphan care and fostering. The challenges and the pain involved can be immense. So if any of you are in foster care, adoption, you know how hard that can be. He said the pain can be immense. Oddly, in the middle of it, when time seemed to slow to a crawl, resources were scarce and physical strength failed, God was there. When we needed it most, he gave us a sense of peace not the peace free of difficulty and trouble. Instead, he provided an unshakable peace in the midst of the storm. Can you imagine that? You're trying to foster kids or adopt kids and everything seems like it's falling apart and yet him and his family, his wife, knew that supernatural peace that transcends understanding. They experienced it. That is the gift of God to us. So he gives us this gift. We learn how to put it into practice through prayer, through thanksgiving. But the final step, the final layer, is what Paul talked about at the beginning of this passage in verse 2. When he says, so you look there now at verse 2, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Uh, it says agree in the Lord, but in the Greek it says something like have the same thinking or have the same attitude. And so not only does God give us this peace, we have peace with God, we get peace within ourselves, but now we're also called to put it into practice in our relationships, especially with one another in the body of Christ. These two women, Yodia and Syntyche, are ladies that Paul worked with. They're co-workers with him in the gospel. And so it breaks, you know, interesting, like Philippi was a great church. But even at a great church, you had relationship problems. 
So sometimes we're naive, aren't we? We think that like, oh, it's a church. Everybody's Christian. We should all get along all the time. But guess what? Newsflash, we're human beings. And so sometimes human beings don't get along, right? And we get into it with each other. But he says, listen, you have this peace, this mystery of contentment. I want you to work on that peace with each other. You have a disagreement or an issue with somebody. You know, you got to get on the same page. He says, agree in the Lord. Have the same mind. Have the same heart. You might not agree on all the particulars, but friends, you're, you're one in Christ. He says, you're sisters in Christ. So what you have in common with each other by virtue of your faith is so much more important than whatever little differences you might have with each other. And we think, oh, well, they disrespected me, or oh, they disagree with me, or oh, they got the wrong theology on this point or that point. But friends, what we have in common as brothers and sisters in Christ is, is far greater than our little differences. And so he says, agree in the Lord. But he takes it a step further because not only does he tell them to agree, but he's asked the church to help. Right? We think, oh, I don't want to meddle. These people have an issue. I want to stay out of it. I don't want to get involved with this. It's got some nasty, ugly stuff going on here. Keep me out of it. But he says, no, 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 that's not, that's not our approach in the church. I mean, the church's witness is, is, is at stake here. So he says this, yes, I, verse 3, yes, I also ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. You see, he mentions twice there, true companion, labored side by side, fellow workers. What, do all that, what does that, all that language suggest to you? That they're all on the same team. We're all on the same team. You know, they worked with me in the gospel. And not only that, not only are we the same team, but he says that their names are all written in the book of life. You know, God has a, has a book that has all of our names on it, those who belong to him. Imagine God going through, he sees the names, and he says, oh, these two women here, they're in my book, but they're not getting along. What, what, you know, what's happening with these women? They're in my book. Right? I died for them. I forgave their sins. I brought the, these women into my family. They're sisters in Christ. They can get along. They just need a little bit of support and a little bit of encouragement. And so, friends, this part of what we're called to do as believers within the church is peacemaking, not just peacekeeping. Get involved. You know, of course, with, with, with love, with wisdom. You know what's so interesting is that we've been uh, going through this class um, on the Beatitudes. Guess which Beatitude is tonight? What? Blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah, tonight. I didn't plan it that way. So it's just God put that together. Pastor Aaron's going to be speaking on blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. So I hope you can come tonight. It's going to be awesome. How do we know it's going to be awesome? Because Pastor Aaron is always awesome right? It's going to be great. So I hope you can come 530. He's going to talk more about what it means to be a peacemaker. So I'll close by saying this, friends, at Christmas time, the world is cynical and the world needs to know that that peace is not naive. We as a church have been given a great gift. We've been given the peace of God. It's a peace that we have with him, a peace that we can carry within ourselves. And it's a peace that we can live out in a way that it will be radically uh, beautiful and captivating to, our, to Bergen County and to the world. And so this Christmas, when we know that peace, I pray that you step into that peace. You work this peace. It does take work. It takes practice. But there is a supernatural aspect to it as well. It's a peace that you can have even within the worst storm God makes possible for you. And my hope is that you know that peace this Christmas season. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that by the power of your spirit and by the power of the gospel, which has been preached, that every heart would 
uh, just be drawn towards you this morning in faith and repentance. God, I pray for any one of us who right now could, could agree with me that, my goodness, I need more peace in my life, that, that I feel like my life is frantic, I feel like my life is busy, I feel like my life is filled with anxiety, and I, I'm, I'm desperate and hungry to know your peace. I pray that today may be the start of a new, par, a new phase of that journey, where we whose names are written in the book of life begin to experience and to know that peace more and more, to be able to work that peace, that, that whenever we are anxious, no matter what it is, even if it seems small or trivial, that, that we just have the, the wherewithal and the boldness to come before you to recognize your Father, that you have our life in the palm of, our, uh, palm of your hands, that there's nothing that can separate us from your love, that we are good, you've taken care of us. May we know this peace and be able to share this peace with our friends and our families and our neighbors. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.